what I'm preaching tonight, the spirit of the Lord that's in this place. I don't want us to get so caught up in what's happening and what's being said that we miss what is being done. Does that make sense? Sometimes I just don't make myself perfectly clear and I don't properly communicate, but I don't want us to get caught up in words and miss the message. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you would with me, if you would continue throughout the entirety of this service to have an open heart and open mind to what the Lord wants to do, would you just raise your hand one more time and say, do it Lord in me, do it Lord in me, do it Lord in me. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Precious Savior, precious Savior. Hallelujah. So glad to have Pastor Sister Bushnell back in the house of the Lord. Amen. How many love your pastor and his wife? It is such a treat to be around people that are genuine and real. Amen? Hallelujah, hallelujah. So thankful for their walk with God, their spirit of God, their leadership. Thankful that we know people like this. Precious Savior. I've, I've met a lot of folks, a lot of, a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors, a lot of pastor families that are standoffish and far off, unreachable. Hallelujah. But it's nice when you just meet good folks. Amen. 1 Samuel, I'll begin with the first verse of the first chapter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim. Now you ought to be just, just be happy that I got through that far. I'm from the country. Of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham. The son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Will you say that with me? Were there. We're there. For Samuel chapter number 4, verse number 2. I'll begin reading as you catch up. For Samuel chapter number 4, verse number 2. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. When the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there. Will you say that with me? Were there. They were there with the ark of the covenant. I'm going to preach to you for a few moments in your hearing tonight from this subject. It's not enough just simply to be there. It's not enough 
through the entirety of, of this revival, I have felt like God is literally putting his hands beneath this church and lifting it. Hallelujah. I don't speak much in, in levels or, or elevating or <clears throat> things of that nature. I believe your relationship with God grows on a daily basis. I don't think he does something that is not willing in the hearts of people. It must begin in our hearts. It's got to start with a hunger. Is there anybody that's hungry to go and make that track, to take that journey and to get closer to him? Is there anybody, is there anybody that's older in this place that you realize you have not yet arrived, but yet God is still calling you to a brand new place? Is there any young people in the house of the Lord that know you've got a ways to go and you're ready to follow him? Hallelujah. Anybody got that hunger in your heart? Jesus, 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 Jesus. I want you to know, hallelujah, wherever I find myself, if I can find somebody that is hungry, if I can find somebody that is expecting, oh, that's a huge word. That's a big word. Somebody expecting something from here tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many know that he wants to yield to you? He wants to give to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about things. I'm not talking about materialism. I think, I think we've got plenty of that. I think what, what God wants to give us is a new dose of his spirit. Hallelujah. To put his anointing afresh and anew upon us. Anybody believe that? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. It's not enough just simply to be there. You can be seated in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I began reading the story of Eli. His life was not a life that was led in a bad way. His life was one of a judge. He was a priest. He was even possibly called as a prophet. He was a man of God. He was a minister to the people of Israel. He helped them make decisions when uh, they had ought in their heart against one another. He was there to help them come to reason. He was the rational voice to the people of Israel. He wasn't just uh, another guy out in the field, but rather he was a man that had clout. He was a man that had respect. He had the hearts of the people. And so it was without any ado that when Eli had sons that it was just accepted that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would grow and they would uh, come into the ministry and they would be a part of his ministry and they would help him in the ways of the priesthood, in the ways of the judge, in the ways of the prophet. And so we find as these young men, they began to grow, that they were there. They were just around the house of the Lord. Now Eli was so in love with the house of the Lord that we find him even in his downtime just setting a a stool outside of the tabernacle, outside of that tent. And he would sit there and just wait on people to come in. Eli loved the house of the Lord. I, I have no doubt from reading from the life of Eli that he loved the duty of ministry. And so we find here that Eli had these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were of a different breed. They, they were raised in the house of the Lord, 
They were there when uh, Elkanah and uh, uh, Hannah come into the house of the Lord. They were there. They heard the petitions of Hannah. They watched their father as he marked her mouth. He he watched, uh, Hophni and Phinehas watched as that, that father in prophecy looked at that woman and told her to leave and you're going to have a baby. She, she, she left and nine months later that came to pass. We, we see Hophni and Phinehas there as the sacrifices were offered. They were there. They were there in the good times. They were there in the bad times. They were there in the high times. They were low. They were there in the low times. Hophni and Phinehas was there when judgment would cast, and Hophni and Phinehas was there when the glorious times of Eli uh, reigning over the people of Israel. They they learned how to judge from this man named Eli. They learned how to offer sacrifices at the very hands of Eli. They they learned about the anointing of God. They learned about the presence of God from this man named Eli. They were always there. Maybe it started as very young men that he would bring them to work with him and they would sit there playing with whatever it was they played with, chariots and horses, little old wooden horses, and he would he would bring them to, to work with them. Several times when I pastored, I'd bring my, my son with me and I, I would work around the church and uh, I, I would just let him play. One day we were working and we had a 30-foot uh, pinnacle ceiling in our church and we were working on the ceiling and I, I was climbing up a scaffold and I, I'd come down to get something and I, I ran in another room and uh, when I come back uh, I heard a five-year-old voice say, hey dad. And there was my five-year-old son with a gleam in his eye hanging over the side of that scaffolding looking down. Now I'm scared of high. I'm not scared of heights. I'm scared of the sudden stop at the bottom. But I said, son, stay right there. Stay right th- how, how did you get up there? Now that was a dumb question. There's one way to get up. and There's several ways to get down, but there's one way up. And I watched him without fear as he, as he come down. These boys were there. They were just there. They, they were a part of it. They were engrafted into. But I've come to preach to somebody tonight in the house of the Lord. It's not enough just simply to be there. It's not enough just to be around the things of God. It's not enough just to be around the presence of God. It's not enough just to be around the anointing. It's not enough just simply to, to, to watch as pastor prays for somebody and they're healed. It's not enough just to watch as somebody is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can you, can you follow me just a little bit? It's not enough for us just simply to be there. And Hophni and Phinehas grew up in the house of the Lord. And they grew up just simply being there. We have pews that are packed in Pentecostal churches of people that are just simply there. They know what to do. They know how to follow the program. They know the routine. They're faithful to the house of God. They give to the house of God. But when it comes to the spiritual things of God, they are disconnected and they are removed. I've come to tell somebody in the house of the Lord tonight. We've got to arrive at a place where we understand there is a persistent calling from the presence of God. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. 
There is a persistent call from the presence of God. Hallelujah. Not just simply to be faithful to his house, but rather to be faithful to him. Oh, I know tonight I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching on Sunday night. I know you're here because you love the Lord. I know you're here because you love his house. I know you're here because you you, you love the, the presence of God and the anointing of God. But in the midst of it all, hallelujah, there are people that are watching you. There are people that have their eye on you. There are people that are following in your footsteps. You are leaving an example to a generation that comes after you. And turn to somebody and say, it's not just about me. Turn back to them and say, it's not just about you. And Hophni and Phinehas grew up in the house of the Lord. They grew up knowing exactly how to do it. Hallelujah. We got people that can sing and they can sing and move us emotionally. But what about transferring us into the spirit realm? We got people that can preach and say pretty words. But what about a breaking in the spirit? I've come to tell somebody we've got to do more than just simply be here. I don't, come to, I don't come to preach condemnation. I'm not here tonight in the house of the Lord to beat somebody down. I'm not here to put my thumb on anybody. I'm here to lift you up. And I'm here to tell you there's a wooing in the spirit. There's a call, hallelujah, from heaven. Say, come on up just a little bit higher. Arise with me, child. I want you to know that he's going to exalt somebody. And here was Hophni and here was Phineas. And Hophni and Phineas took a different route than Daddy took. Hophni and Phineas decided it was just a job. They removed themselves from the spiritual side of things. Can I tell you, in the house of the Lord, they got too caught up in driving a nail and not caught up enough in a prayer room. They got too caught up in running the sweeper and not enough in an altar. Hallelujah, hear me in the house of the Lord. All these things are necessary. I appreciate it, hallelujah. Your pastor appreciates what you do around here, but nothing is any more appreciated than somebody that delves into the Spirit. Hallelujah, that lets God put his hand upon your heart and into your life and begin to mold you and begin to make you into what you need to be. And so, Hophni and Phineas began their spiral out of control because they looked at it as simply a job. That's all they're doing. They're just doing a job. They're just doing the job. They're just there doing what they know to do. There was no no, uh, reaction to the Spirit, no reaction to the presence of God. They were just simply going through the motions. They, They had been taught. The routine, and they were stuck in the routine, and somewhere that routine led them to a different place. It led them to a place of rebellion. It led them to a place of disobedience. And as we follow the life of Hophni and Phineas, one generation removed from a judge, a prophet, and a priest, we find here Hophni and Phineas made the very people of Israel hate the sacrifice. That's not me. That's scripture. The Bible tells us that it was Hophni and it was Phineas that made 
the people of Israel hate to even go give a sacrifice. That, my friend, was the very beginning. That was the chink in the armor of Israel. Because if we ever lose that hunger to sacrifice for the things of God, we will walk away from holiness. We will walk away from doctrine. We will walk away from true Acts 2.38 salvation because that is a sacrifice. It was never intended to be easy. It was never intended to be something you just do. There is a cost to this thing. It's going to take something from me. It's a sacrifice that extrapolates from my soul when I give to him. Hallelujah. Whatever it is that I give to him, he yields back to me because he will not be beholden to me. He will not be indebted to me. And they hated the sacrifices. So they stopped giving sacrifices. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices were their access to the heavens. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices was going to be what washed their sins away, rolled those sins forward for one more year. So over time, Hophni and Phinehas just continued to compound the sins of the people, and they would not sacrifice, and their sins, you are you hear me in the house of the Lord, this is what happens when people just come to the house of the Lord, and they sit there, and they're there, they're there, they're there, but they're not involved. Let me tell you what happened. Sin begins to creep in, and sin begins to settle in somebody's heart, and it's all right, and it's okay, and then we have barren altars because nobody wants to sacrifice. Okay. And Hophni and Phineas took the people to a place that they had never been before. I'm going to close my eyes, okay? I'm going to preach with my eyes closed for a little bit. Well, it's just way too hard to get somebody out to the house of the Lord. Yes, it's a sacrifice. It's too hard to, to really, in this, in this day and age and in the pace in which we live, it's really hard to be a witness. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. It's called a sacrifice. And we have to make a decision as a church of the living God. If you're going to be a growing church, if you're going to be a revival church, you've got to make that decision. I'm going to fall in love with the sacrifices again. I'm going to fall in love with some of those things that changed my life. I'm going to fall in love with holiness. I'm going to fall in love with the doctrine. I'm going to fall again in love with salvation. I'm going to fall in love with the name that's above every other name. I'm going to fall in love again with the blood that cleanses me from the sins of my life. Hophni and Phinehas removed the people of God. From those sacrifices. They hated, they abhorred the sacrifices because of Hophni and Phinehas. It was not what it cost them. It was simply because of who was offering. I want you to know, if you fall in love with him and you do things right, you will draw people to the house of God. You will cause people on the outside to want to come in and sacrifice like you're sacrificing and give like you're giving. Why? Because they see that abundance in your life. Samuel the whole time is being raised in the house of the Lord. 
Samuel's watching. Samuel's paying attention. Samuel hears a voice from heaven. He didn't know it was a voice of heaven. And he calls, uh, he hears that voice calling out to him. And he runs and he runs to Eli and he says, here's your servant. What do you want me to do? He says, I didn't call for you. Go back to your bed, son. So Samuel goes back to the bed. A couple of times this happens, and eventually Eli looks at him. He says, when you go back to your bed this time, you say, speak for your servant heareth. It was then, in a small young age. I don't know exactly how old. Commentators differ on how old, but I know this. He wasn't very old at all. It could have been that he was in single digits, nine, even eight years old, but some suppose 12 or, or 13 years old. I don't know if we have any young people quite that age. Any, any nine or eight-year-olds, raise your hand if you're nine or eight. 11, 12, 13, raise your hand. 11, 12, 13, 13. What would you do, dear, if tonight the Holy Ghost began to speak to you? It's what happened in the Old Testament. We're so quickly to categorize and say, oh, no, he can only speak to the man in this seat. But I would tell you this, that this man's heart would swell. Hallelujah. If somebody would get so in tune with the Holy Ghost that they would come and they would say, Pastor, I just want to confirm what the Holy Ghost has been talking to you. I just want us to get linked up. I just want to help you any way that I can. I just want to be a part of the ministry. And Samuel was there. Samuel heard the voice of the Lord. And Samuel said, I know where he's going with this thing. And I want to be involved. I want to be a part of it. And here was Hophni and Phinehas leading Samuel in the wrong direction. But Samuel made a decision. I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going there. I'm not going to be a part of that. And here, here was Samuel raised in the same home that Hophni and Phinehas was raised in. He was raised there. He saw the same things that, that Hophni and Phinehas seen. But there was a presence of God, an anointing of God upon his life. I've tried in my life, I've tried to evaluate why it is that two hearts can be raised in the same home. I've tried to evaluate why it is that two young siblings can be raised in a home, two children. One make that choice to live for God and one make the choice to leave. I've got a sister that doesn't live for God. I've never, I've never walked away from him. I'm not saying I haven't failed him. I've failed him, but I've never, I've never walked away from him because I didn't know what to walk away to. There wasn't anything I found that's any better than him. And so even when I failed, I fell into his arms because I understood from a very young age that that's the best thing going, that Jesus is the best thing that I could ever get a hold of, that Jesus has made the difference in my life. But I don't know how that you can have a family and you can have one that makes that decision to walk walk with him and one that makes a decision to walk away. I'd like to be able to define it tonight. I wish that I could somehow take words and elaborate on it and break it down biblically, but all I can tell you is some get it and some don't. Somebody is hungry for it. And somebody is not. My wife has lived for God almost her entire life. She has a brother that can quote more scripture than probably most of us in this place. And he's backslidden. He's lost. He's as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. I've come to tell you in the house of the Lord tonight, you've got to get a hold of this thing and let it get a hold of you.
remember on Moore's Creek Road, one chapel on a Friday afternoon, I remember burying my face in some old mauve carpet and snotting and crying in that carpet for hours after chapel. I remember that big old principal, a big rotund man, as he opened up the door and he come in as I sat in there and I was wiping the tears away from my eyes and the snot away from my nose. I remember what it was like making that decision to not go to Purdue University but instead to go to Indiana Bible College. I remember what it was like making that decision thinking I might break my parents heart because they had something focused for me they had a direction for me but I also heard the cries of my mother in her prayers God anoint his ministry God set him up God prosper him in what he does I want you to know in the house of the Lord tonight that I made it my purpose not just simply to be there I got up from that moment with my life forever changed and 17 years old. I'd been preaching since I'd been 13, but it didn't click with me until I was 17 years old. My senior year. My complete purpose began to change. The anointing upon my life began to change when I made that decision. I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability to bring glory and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was there, brother, that I got it. It was there that it clicked with me. It was there where I not only got it, but it got me. It got down in my heart. It got me. Before that, it was my grandmother's religion. Before that, it was my grandfather's religion. Before that, it was my mom's religion. It was my mom's prayers. It was, it was watching the example that she had led. But when I got up from that carpet and I wiped away the tears from my eyes, it became what I believed. Samuel continued to be raised in the house of the Lord. Samuel began to flourish. Samuel began to rise above Hophni and rise above Phineas. Samuel was there too. Hophni and Phineas, the scripture tells us, died in a battle. But Samuel survived. Samuel survived to be the leader. Samuel survived to be the judge. Samuel survived to be the miracle worker. Samuel survived to be the prophet. He survived to be the priest. But can I ask you a question? Even though that Samuel lived such a good life and such a, a, a right life, even though he took that horn of oil and anointed the head of Saul and took that oil and anointed the life of, da of David king over Israel, can, is there anybody in the house of the Lord that can tell me the names of the sons or Samuel. He had two sons, one by the name of Joel and another by the name of Abiah. Do you know how they are remembered in Scripture? They are remembered in Scripture as the men that turned the hearts of the people away from that of the judge. And it was the actions and the deeds of Abiah and Joel that caused the hearts of the people to look for a king. 
So it was Hophni and Phineas that turned the people against the sacrifices. And it was Joel and Abiah that turned the hearts of the people against authority. It wasn't because daddy didn't lead it. It wasn't because daddy didn't, didn't get it. It wasn't because daddy didn't try to impart it to him. It's because in all that he'd done, it did not click with them. It did not become theirs. Young people, you better hear me. If you've ever heard anybody in the house of the Lord, you better hear me. You've got to reach that place. You've got to find that place where this truth gets buried in your heart. If all the world turns against you, if your family turns against you, if your mother and your father and your sister and your brother turn against you, you've got to bury it in your heart and hold on for dear life. Listen to me, young person, hallelujah, under the sound of my voice, I feel the Holy Ghost moving. You've got to get a hold of this thing, hallelujah. You can't wait much longer. Your, your time is ticking. There's going to be a, a temptation come your way. There's going to be opportunities presented to you in the not very far off future, hallelujah, that you can walk away from this thing. You can become like Hophni. You can become like Phineas. You can hate the sacrifices. You can become like Joel. You can become like Abiah and say, ah, ah, the authority doesn't matter. The king doesn't matter. The pastor doesn't matter. The leaders don't matter. But I want you to know, in the house of God, if you bury it in your heart, you'll fall in love with these things. There's a calling tonight in this place on some young people. One second, let's just bow our heads. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost swept into this place and he is, he's dealing with somebody right now. Young man, young lady, I wouldn't walk out of this place until I've committed to this. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Instead of doubting what you believe and doubting and questioning everything, hallelujah, why don't you spend a few weeks in prayer and fasting and say, God, show it to me. God, reveal it to me. God, open up my spirit. I don't ask you to take down your dictionary and take down your Hebrew and your Greek and try to break it all apart. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to fast. I'm asking you to fall in love with this thing. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. James and John, we're in the boat. They were just going about their business, doing what they had done all of their lives. Listen to me, folks. When God calls men and women, they are usually employed. They're usually already working somewhere in the kingdom. He don't just find people that's just nonchalantly passing through life. He finds people that are already working and gives them a calling. James and John were just working. They were, they were at their boat and Jesus passes by. The same petition that he offered to Peter, he offered to James and he offered to John. And he said, come, follow me. Just follow me. 
Zebedee was the father of these two. These were the sons of thunder. We don't know really if that makes reference to their disposition, their attitude, their personality, or if it might may even have made reference to their father, that he was a volatile and an angry man. But we do know this, that these were the sons of thunder. And here was Zebedee in the boat with these two boys. Jesus passes by and he says, follow me. The same petition, I'll make you fishers of men. You don't have to do this anymore. That father could have taken that as an assault. He could have taken it in a hurtful way. He could have been offended at Jesus, but we don't see that in Scripture. Rather, we just see him watching those boys as they walk off in the distance with Jesus. He's stuck now with the nets. He's stuck with the fish. He's stuck with the boats. He's stuck with the, with the servants. He's, he's stuck with all of it. He's got he's to mend nets now. He's got to fix the boat. He's got to make sure that the servants have a place to stay for the night. That was possibly the, the, the jobs of James and John. But he de- made a decision there that each and every one of us ought to make. That the, the sons that he had raised thus far were better off in the hands of Jesus than they were in his own hands. He, he trusted, hallelujah, that Jesus would hold them in the hollow of his hands. He he trusted that there was a a purpose and there was a will in the heart of the Messiah and the Christ. Hallelujah. And so he willingly let go of these two young men. He didn't offer a word. We don't find this scripture where he says, hey, Bring those boys back. They've got to finish up their work. No, he just bid them adieu. He just said, have a good day. As they walked off with Jesus, because he had only taken them so far, he had put in these young men all that he could put in them. And then there come that time and place where Jesus comes along. And he says, son, I'm going to take these boys a little bit farther. Oh, that we could trust the King of kings and the Lord of lords to take our lives and to take our children farther into the ministry. I've reached a place where I'm, I'm traveling and I'm seeing. And I'm thankful for education. But the greatest calling in life is the calling to ministry. I'm not simply saying that because I'm actively involved in it. I'm saying that because the benefits and the rewards of seeing people's lives changed for Jesus Christ makes all the difference. Are you saying that God's calling my son and my daughter to be a preacher? No, no, no. If you're that closed-minded that you think that's all ministry is about, please open up your mind because God, hallelujah, can anoint in this very place young people that could write books, that could relate to children and expose the oneness of the mighty God of Christ to their lives, that young hearts could receive the Holy Ghost because of a written word by the anointed hand of your son or your daughter. One small little way that God could use your children in ministry. And Zebedee says, go on. 
For three and a half years, they walked with him. For three and a half years, they talked with him. For three and a half years, they grew. They were a lot more than just fishermen by the seaside. They were there. They were part of the inner sanctum. They were there on Mount Transfiguration. They were in there when the boy was lowered down through the top of the roof. They were there when blind Bartimaeus cried out. They were there. They were there. They were there. They were there when that little girl got off of that table when Jesus said to Letha Kumai, Arise, hallelujah. They were there. They saw it. They experienced it. They were a part of the ministry of Jesus for three and a half years. They grew exponentially. They grew in spirit. They grew in sensitivity. It never would have happened if there was a father that said, no, no, I've got a direction for him. No, I've got a purpose for him. No, I'm trying to push them in this direction. There's a dad that needs to hear me in the house of the Lord. You need to push those children towards Jesus. Lead your young man and lead your young daughter to Jesus and put their hand in his hand at an altar and say, Jesus, whatever you want to do with their lives, I pray that they would commit to it here. Am I off here in the house of the Lord tonight? Am I preaching to somebody? Am I talking to somebody's heart? I've got a 10-year-old boy. Hallelujah. Every service, hallelujah, in Westlake, we're there together. I grab him by the hand and I drag him down to an altar. Sometimes he's embarrassed. Sometimes he don't want to do it. But we bear our face in a carpet together and we pray. We pray of a night. Why? Because I'm trying to lead him to Jesus. I understand there's shortcomings in my life. I understand there's parts about me that I don't want in him. There's things that I face and there's things that I suffer. And there's certain temptations in my life that I never want to expose my son to. And so therefore, if I lead him to Jesus and he falls in love with Jesus, Jesus can take him farther than I could ever take him. I'm closing. We don't know. We don't know who the the wife of Eli was. We don't know who the mother of Joel and Abiah was. But we do know who the mother of James and John was. James and John come to Jesus. They put ministry in the heart of these young men. Somehow that mom and dad had teamed up together to teach them about ministry and teach them about that relationship with Jesus and how important that it truly was. And it wasn't, my friend, just Zebedee. It wasn't just dad. But those young boys come to Jesus and they bowed down at his feet and they worshiped him and they began to ask him, hey, we got a question. 
And Jesus would say, well, what is it that you want to ask me? Well, we want one of us to be at your right hand and one of us to be at your left hand. You might look at that and say, well, that's being egotistical. That's being selfish. No, 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 no. They wanted to be a part of everything that he was doing. They wanted to be there to support him as, as Aaron and her would support the arms of Moses. They wanted to be there with Jesus. They believed in what he was doing. They believed in his kingdom. And so when they come to him, they knelt there and they asked him, ah, we want one of us to be at the right hand and one of us to be at the left hand he said you can't even partake of this you, you can't handle this what I'm about to experience what I'm about to go through you can't oh yes we can yes we, and there that was that that spirit of their daddy that began to rise in them that son of thunder and they began to rise oh yeah we can do this we can do this and they felt those berating words of Jesus and you know what they'd done according to one of the commentators I wrote uh, I read that they would go out and they'd find their mama because in, in one passage of scripture it was them asking in the next passage of scripture we find that mama comes back and mama goes in and mama begins to worship and he looks into the eyes of mama and says mama what is it that you want well I'll tell you what I want I want one of my boys to be at your right hand and one of my boys to be at your left hand I want them to be a part of your kingdom I want them to be a part of your ministry oh from mothers and fathers that would say I want my kids involved in the church I don't want them just to simply be there I want them to be involved I want them to be instrumental I want them to be used of God I want them to feel the presence of God and know what the anointing of God is are you hearing me tonight in the house of the Lord it's not enough just simply to be there would you stand with me in the house of the Lord I will reiterate that it is not my objective tonight to condemn, but rather to invite you to make a commitment tonight. Mama, do you know what you're asking? Mama, do you know what you're actually delving into? If she ever would have understood what was going to happen in the life of James and John, I dare say that she would have recanted. She would have drawn back and she would have said, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I, I really didn't mean that. Because if we was to look at the life of James, the first martyr, it would be the spilling of the blood of James at the purpose of heaven that would light a fire in that first apostolic church and would cause the world to be turned upside down. But it took the spilling of his blood. It took his martyrdom. It took his death, if you would, to light the fire for the first apostolic church. But she was still willing there at his feet to say, I want one on your right and I want one on your left. I don't care. I'm going to trust them to you. You've got to trust your children to the hands of God. If I prayed once, I prayed a million times. God, if my children aren't going to be saved, take them now. People say that's brutal. No, no, no. I want my children to be saved. And I will do whatever it takes to make for sure that I've done everything possible for my family to make it to heaven. 
I would have to say on the Isle of Patmos that John would beg for death. That John would cry out to heaven, oh, why, why is it that Peter had to go on? Why is it that Bartholomew's gone? Why is it that Thomas is gone? Why does my brother have to be slaughtered and I live? Because I've got a purpose for you, John. I've got a reason for you, John. There's a reason that you're here. That's a reason why you've been boiled in oil and you live. There's a reason why they tried to stone you and to live. There's a reason why you're here on Patmos. Well, what is it? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You you take up a pen and you're going to take and write words that are going to close the book. And he picked up a pen and he began to write. I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, I promise you, in the house of God tonight, as the music comes and the singers come, I promise you, if you put your hand, your children, in the hand of God, and you connect them to Jesus Christ, and you teach them about His anointing, you teach them about His presence, you teach them about ministry, I promise you, He will hold them, He will keep them. I know what the Holy Ghost is leading right now. It's a hard thing. It's not an easy thing. I know what the Holy Ghost is speaking into my heart right now. Hallelujah. And I don't want to ever be out of line. I want to be in the perfect will of God. But, sir, I've watched you. I've watched you. Uh, I've watched you and I've watched your family. Ah. The Holy Ghost is crying out to you tonight in this place. Lead that family. Lead that family to me. Grab a hold of that family and bring them down to an altar. Lead that family to an altar. Oh, hallelujah. Introduce them to me. Introduce them to a father that has fallen in love with me. Introduce them to a family that knows how to pray and knows how to seek my face. It is not enough, sir. It's not enough, ma'am, just simply to be there. It didn't work for Hophni. It didn't work for Phineas. It didn't work for Joel. It didn't work for Abiah. And don't be mistaken, you're none better. It will not work for you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let's look at the positives of this tonight. Hallelujah. Let's look at it from a positive angle. The Holy Ghost is here and He's drawing you. And He's drawing you, sir, simply because He has an intention for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a purpose for your children. But don't be mistaken. If heaven has a purpose for your children, so does hell. I don't know how long I've been. Forgive me if I've been too long. I preached 25 minutes this morning, so maybe I can take a little bit of it tonight. For just one moment, please. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. Not a soul, please. Not a soul. Not a soul. I need to know tonight that the Holy Ghost is dealing with you. I need to know as a preacher of this glorious gospel what I'm saying is even resonating at home for you. With nobody looking around, please, 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 would you just slip your hand up in the air 
if what I've been preaching is speaking to you. Is there some mama in this place? Is there some daddy in this place that cares enough to say, I want one at your right hand. And I want one at your left hand. And I'll trust you with their life. And I'll trust you with their death. And I'll trust you with their blessings. And I'll trust you with their shortcomings. I just want them in your hand. You can call it a rededication service if you want to. But the Holy Ghost is in this place tonight. His anointing is here. You don't know what could happen in this altar, sir. If you'd bring those children of yours down to an altar. You don't know what kind of calling he might place upon your life. Somebody respond to him right now, would you, in the house of the Lord? I could point you out. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I could walk up beside you and peck you on the shoulder, but it wouldn't do no good if you will not respond to the word of the Lord tonight. If his words are not enough, if, he does, if it doesn't stir you enough that he cares enough to send a preacher to preach to your very heart, not anything that I could do like that would matter. I've taught, I've taught my son to throw a football. I've taught him to hit a baseball a country mile. I've taught him how to field a ball. I've taught him how to drive a nail. I've taught him to do all these things. But the most important thing that I can do with my son is teach him how to pray. Please, sir, teach them the most important thing that you can teach them. Please, ma'am. Bring them close enough and give them such an experience with God that they make that decision to live for Him. <laughs>